Off the Wire. This is Matthew Wireman, and I am so thankful that you're joining uh, with me on this journey uh, together. And uh, if you are joining us for the first time, this is actually not the first episode. Um, if you uh, are just joining us for the first time, I would recommend that you go to episodes one, two, and three. And uh, that's where I lay out the the overarching reason for why I started a podcast and so many <laughs> there's so many podcasts out there so many awesome podcasts but why did I start a podcast and so uh, that first episode walks you through that and then the second episode is who I am and a little bit about my story in case you're wondering who this guy on the other end of the microphone is and then the third one is uh, foundations of theology and so in case you were uh, recommended this this um, podcast or just stumbled upon it the uh, really the the, the force or the thrust of this podcast is to think about how theology matters. Uh, and so I'm not going to get into all, rehash everything I say in, in those uh, the first and third episodes, but I would encourage you to, to listen to those to just kind of get an idea of what I'm about and what this podcast is about. And so I just wanted to thank you for joining us. Thank you for being a part of, of this. And, and uh, I always am thankful to get feedback and questions that you might want answered or, or and I could do one-off episodes of, of different questions that you may have. I'm sure that there are a lot of people that have questions and I just uh, and you may not feel comfortable asking or talking to certain people uh, about things. And so I just wanted to uh, give you the opportunity to, to ask questions and I can answer them in the uh, comfort of anonymity, as it were, and so, uh, so thank you for joining, and for those of you that have already listened to those episodes, uh, thank you for coming back and entrusting me with with uh, your ears and your time, and I'm I'm so thankful for that. This episode is uh, is uh, is the first interview that I did for the podcast, uh, and it is. An interview with my uh, supervisor for my PhD, Dr. Steve Wellam, who teaches at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, I owe a debt of gratitude to Steve, and I've told him this before, and I um, don't, uh, it's not a secret, uh, but I, I owe a lot to Steve Wellam for the, the theologian that I am, the, the desire that I have to practice theology. And uh, I think that you're going to really enjoy. Uh, this interview with Steve, where we talk uh, about his life and how he came to, to how he came to faith and how he came to study theology, uh, what he thinks is most valuable about theology, and then we get into issues of apologetics. Um, he he taught me a, a some an apologetic method and or methods that I find extremely helpful. And so we're talking about apologetics, and that naturally leads into Christian worldview. What is the Christian worldview, uh, and how is it a holistic understanding of what God is doing in creation as He's revealed Himself? And then we get into issues of systematic and biblical theology. And so those are technical words uh, for how to go about theology. There's historical theology. Uh, there's systematic, biblical theology, and biblical theology. I'm using those distinctly because all theology should be biblical. But um, in, in in this interview, we talk through what does that mean as you think about God's story of redemption and how do we engage with that on this side of the cross uh, after Christ being resurrected? How do we engage with some of the promises in the Old Testament, for example? How do we how do we uh, 
wrestle with those, those promises to Israel. If we are not Jewish, uh, how do we reckon with um, what we what we read in scripture uh now that christ is resurrected he and the father have sent the spirit to empower his people for ministry and so so we get into those issues and i think that you're gonna really find it a treat to to and you'll and you'll see why uh why i love steve wellham as well why he is a gift to the church and why he's a gift to to me and why he's a gift to so many students in fact i i decided to uh instead of going uh, overseas to do my PhD, decided to do it, do the PhD with, with Steve Wellam because uh, he had that much of an impact on me. And so I'm thankful for him and I'm delighted to be able to share uh, some time with you, with him, on this episode of Off the Wire. Hey, uh, this is uh, Matt Wireman and this is the Off the Wire podcast. This is the inaugural first podcast and I couldn't be more honored to have uh, my uh, supervisor for that honored me with a PhD uh, if we were in Germany he would have been called my Dr. Vater, um, which I think he likes that title this is uh, Steve Wellam who serves as the editor for the Southern Baptist Theological Journal as well as is professor of theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and a good friend of mine. And uh, one of the most commendable things I can say about Steve is that I remember as I was trying to uh, decide whether I was going to do the PhD or not, and whether I was going to go to another institution or not, I was walking him out to his car. I don't know if you remember this or not, Steve, but um, I was walking him out to his car and he made the comment that, that sealed the deal for me. He said, you know, I know there's a lot of guys that are worried about writing books and want to write books and books and books and sell a lot of books. Uh, he says, I just want to love my family, be a faithful husband and be a faithful dad. And that to me was what commended uh, my study under Steve. So I'm thankful to have you on this as I'm venturing into the podcast world and to be able to uh, talk about uh, theology that matters or as I like to say, faith that works. And so uh, that's one of the things that I think um, commends you for me. Uh, but then I think it also commends you to to be listened to by folks because there's a lot of a lot of people in the world, a lot of theologians, a lot of aspiring theologians who uh, believe that keeping more wisdom up, more knowledge, and more training is all that matters. But they haven't taken it to the next step of being able to say, okay, why does this matter? Why does Christology matter? Why does the Trinity matter? If I talk about the hypostatic union, why is that important? How does that more at the end of the day affect my life? And so I think that. Uh, I am honored. Uh, I am honored to have you uh, on on this, and I appreciate your time. And so, uh, we'll launch right into some questions and uh, be able to just see see where this goes. How's that sound? Thank you, Matt. Yeah, it's a great honor to be here with you as well. So, did I miss anything? You want me to say anything else in your uh, intro? No, no. That you you you've covered everything. <laughs> I, I, speaking of books, I can say that you and you co-authored a, a work with Peter Gentry called uh, "Kingdom Through Covenant," right? And then you uh, synthesized that down to "God's Kingdom Through Covenants." And then you've just finished uh, a work on Christology. Uh, who, who's that? Is that with the Evangelical Theological Series? What, what was the yeah, name? With the yeah, you know, Crossway Series, the Foundations of Evangelical Theology. So that was, yeah. you know, I mean, it's now a couple of years because yep. time goes by so quickly. Yep. Um, and and then I think you Christ were working on that. Alone. Yeah, What's Christ that? Alone, the five, five Sola series too. Great, great. I think you were working on that Christology when I was still in seminary. 
it took it took a while. It's complicated. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you want to do it well, yeah, definitely. If you want to do it well, and and I remember you having books stacked up uh, as high as your head is right there uh, on all the. <laughs> That's right. Anybody that wants to learn about the person and work of Jesus, that they they get Steve's book. So, um, what as I like to start these times by in these interviews, these longer form interviews, and just hearing a little bit about your story, both of your conversion, but but particularly what led you to where you are teaching theology, um, why theology, why not some avenue other than uh, ministry even, um, but why why did you decide that you wanted to be a, a seminary professor? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, good questions. A lot obviously could be said. Um, you know, I grew up in a in a Christian home in Canada. And uh, parents that, um, you know, uh, sacrificed to go to, uh, you know, a solid uh, gospel preaching and theologically sound church. So it was within the more reformed and Baptist direction of things. And uh, so I was raised, um, you know, uh, with a solid theological base. That doesn't make you a Christian, though. Uh, so it wasn't until uh, 16 years old that uh, the Lord really, uh, you know, by his grace, opened my heart to say, you know, I need to believe these truths, not just my parents. And and your dad was a pastor, right? Right, Steve? No, no, he was uh, he was a chiropractor, but he served as an elder uh, in the church, uh, founding elder of Trinity Baptist in Burlington, Ontario. And um, so, you know, I was converted at 16, even though I had been raised in a Christian home, uh, you know, realized I'm a sinner. I need I need Christ. I need uh, forgiveness of my sins. I need to know God. Uh, and then after that, um, really, it was a pretty quick uh, transition to call to ministry in, in that um, I was witnessing to my friends. Um, they were telling me, uh, hey, if you had grown up in, a, in the Middle East, you'd be a Muslim. You wouldn't be a Christian, sort of the mm -hmm. sort of pluralistic kind of, you know, relativistic emphasis. And I thought, boy, I got to answer that. Uh, so I got me into apologetics, reading Francis Schaeffer, and, and that really got me uh, thinking, you know, I need, you know, I really feel called to, to, to minister, to teach, to serve the church, to build the church up. And, uh, and from there, you know, went to uh, college, uh, studied broadly in, in the science realm, thinking I wanted to go to, to seminary, came under the influence of uh, John Riesinger, who was my pastor. Uh, he was a family friend, but he was my pastor in New York, in Rochester, New York, for my college years. And he then said, hey, you need to go to Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. And uh, so I'm very, very thankful for him that sent me uh, to that school, because at that time in the 80s, that really was the premier uh, evangelical institution. And it got exposed to, you know, uh, solid evangelicals, Don Carson, Doug Moon, New Testament. Uh, Harold O.J. Brown, John Feinberg, Kevin Van Hooser in theology, and, you know, right across the board, Old Testament. And, uh, you know, I, I really felt um, a call to, to serve the church, uh, but also potentially in teaching. And I was young, so I did my master's doctorate. I, I did pastor as I was finishing my doctorate for four years. And I really felt uh, at that time, I, I loved the, the church, and I felt that uh, I was going to stay as a church planter and, 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 and church uh, minister. And where, where was this again? This was in South Dakota, uh, way out uh, in, in rural South Dakota, and it was just a wonderful experience. And I was about 28, um, and 
uh, you know, finishing up doctoral work. I hadn't done a whole lot of sort of church, direct church ministry responsibilities. I've been always, you know, taught Sunday school and that. And um, um, I, I was really going in a pastoral direction. And as I was finishing my doctorate, an opportunity came to teach uh, on the west coast of Canada at um, uh, the Trinity Western University, the Associated Canadian Theological Schools. And um, I wrestled with that. I said, well, let's do that for a few years. I'll then probably go back to church ministry. But the Lord has kept me uh, in the academic world from there to then Southern in 1999. So I taught three years on the West Coast in Canada. So you, were, you were thinking about going back to pastoral work after? Yeah, yeah well, no, I, as, as I went out to, to the West Coast, um, I thought, well, you know, I'm I finishing my doctorate. This would be, you know, there's an opportunity to do some teaching, get some experience, but really I'll probably go back and, and pastor. And I'm always open to that, uh, but uh, the Lord kept me uh, there for three years, brought me to Southern Seminary in 1999, and I've done interims and associate works and this type of thing in the local church. You have to be part of your local church, uh, but I also have felt, uh, you know, an important role of training, you know, men like yourself and training uh, future pastors, missionaries, teachers, and so you can multiply your efforts as well. So. Uh, at this point in time, the Lord's kept me here, and uh, you know, uh, if He moves me to a pastoral work down the road, I would go. I'd do that too. So, well, walk me through that. So, you you were converted uh, in in college, right? In the uh, high school, high school. I was converted at sixteen years old. Um, so, you know, mid high school, uh, and, and then and, went off to college. And, and and walk me through like why going into ministry was there any kind of wrestling or was it something like no this is what i want to do or did did you want to be a chiropractor or was there anything uh, like that it was well, your threat your strings other places uh, i really wanted to go into teaching um i really felt so i wasn't sure if that was going to be christian you know world and, and so on so i prepared for science and secondary education uh, i come from a family of my father is a chiropractor and so there's that plus uh, other, you know, nurses and medical background, but a lot of pastors and teachers too. So, uh, so I really sensed, okay, I want to teach. And then as it became combined with uh, working in the church, uh, pastoring in a real sense, when I went to college too, it was, um, it was Roberts Wesleyan College in Rochester, New York. And it was a Christian school. I just felt that uh, some of the instruction could have been better, uh, more solidly grounded, more uh, robust, right? And, and that's probably some of the influence of Francis Schaeffer. I felt that uh, some of the teaching at Roberts wasn't what it could have been in terms of orthodoxy and, 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 and so on. Not that they were heretics or anything, but, uh, um, and that really set me to say, you know, I think um, we need, uh, you know, ed Christian education and solid theological education and really worldview discussion and, and so on. And that's what sent me to Trinity and, and then beyond. So when you say it was um, not going like plumbing the depths of what you felt like th there were questions because you were being asked, okay, if you were, uh, if you were, if, if you grew up in Saudi Arabia, you'd be a Muslim. So, you, so you even started your Christian journey by say, by being asked those questions of, of depth as opposed to just saying, well, I'm thankful that I was born here. Right. Yeah, because I mean, I think I think what you find, right, is if anybody, if they are actually, uh, you know, sharing the gospel with people, 
uh, people will push back, right? Yep. And as people push back, uh, they ask questions. They say, well, why do you believe this, right? And I wanted to be able to, you know, fulfill 1 Peter 3 to give a reason for the hope that's in me. And that sent me into quite reading and uh, apologetics and theology and giving a reason for what the Lord had done in my life. I knew he had changed my life. I was a new, new creature in him. I could see where I was blind before, yet I wanted to be able to communicate that. And that was the first, you know, start of theological learning, apologetic learning. And, and of course, that's the best way to learn, isn't it? By actually getting out there and sharing, sharing Christ with people. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, so were you mostly at that point before getting to uh, Rochester, were you, for the most part, self-taught as it relates? Because you mentioned Schaefer. Was there How Now Shall We Live or How Then Shall We Live? Was that the book or what, what books yeah, this is where my family came in, right? So, you know, I'm at a solid Reformed and Baptist church. So my pastor, you know, he's, he's reading John Owen, <laughs> right? preaching John Owen. So, you know, I'm getting the Puritans, I'm getting Reformed thought. So I'm already picking that up now as now a, truly a Christian. I'm now, oh, this is great. Um, I also have my older brother, uh, my older brother, Kirk, seven years older than me, who was already uh, doing Christian ministry and saying, hey, read this, read this. My mother and father said, hey, read Francis Schaeffer. So, you know, those early years, I was delving into uh, Francis Schaeffer on the apologetic front, which then introduced me to more of the Westminster sort of Vantillian tradition. Mm -hmm. And then reading Reformed Theology, 1689 Baptist Confession, and then thinking through what's that say, how does it relate to Westminster? And, and with solid exposition coming from my pastor, I'm beginning to read uh, you know, classic works and, and so on. So those are the kind of influences that were already there. So I, I took a whole boatload of books to me to college <laughs> and I was studying science, but I had all these theology books in my room. Mm -hmm. And uh, so people said, you're not going to last too long in science. It looks like you'll probably go to seminary, but you know, I wanted to get an undergrad in a, in a diverse area. So I wasn't just rehashing the same thing at seminary. And so, so even from the very beginning, you had a, had a love for apologetics and theology. And then as you go down this path, because you teach apologetics and evangelism, you, you teach uh, theology is really your, your, um, your area of focus is, uh, what, was your, what was your area of focus at Trinity? And then how has that developed and how would you see that in, in coordination with apologetics? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, early in the Christian life, right? I mean, I was very much interested in apologetics. And of course, to do apologetics, you have to know your theology. So automatically, you're thinking in terms of whole worldview. And that's where Schaefer was so helpful in thinking of the big picture, right? So systematic theology, right? You're thinking of all the doctrine and all the big picture. What happened to Trinity was really when I came under um, the influence of, say, uh, you know, Don Carson and Doug Moo and Old New Testament scholars, as they put to that Reformed worldview and that theological grid, they put then biblical theology uh, under it. So, okay, how do you tie this to the text? How do you argue this from a whole Bible? Uh, and so on. And so there's where that became to gel so that in now doing systematics, mm -hmm. you have to know what the whole Bible saying, plus then think, how does this as a whole worldview speak to 
uh, my unbelieving friend, uh, you know, take the gospel to the nations and so on. So that's why systematics for me is the ideal discipline because you bring everything together and it's what you do when you preach and teach and share the gospel with people. Now, now you mentioned biblical theology and for those of folks that may not know what, because you're using that in a technical sense, it's yes. because we would hope that all theology is biblical. Right, right. Um, but what, what is this, what is biblical theology as you're using it? Yeah, biblical theology, I'm using, you're right, in the technical sense, the disciplinary sense, right? So you would say Old Testament studies, New Testament studies, there's a whole discipline to that. Systematic is a discipline. Well, biblical theology is, is a discipline. They're all interrelated, old, new, but biblical theology really is a whole Bible discipline. Right, So taking everything from the old, everything the new, because we believe that Scripture is a unified revelation. It's God's revelation from beginning to end, culminating in Christ, the dawning of the new covenant. So biblical theology is seeking to understand the whole counsel of God along the Bible's own presentation of itself, the Bible's own terms, the Bible's own storyline, beginning with creation, ultimately moving to Christ and the consummation, right? So biblical theology is putting all the parts of the Bible uh, together with the whole. And that's really what biblical theology is doing. And then when you talk about systematic theology and, and bringing all these pieces together, can you, can you walk us through what the difference, because it sounds like biblical theology feeds the systematic theology, which is seeking to answer particular questions. Would that be accurate or is there, or is there yeah, something I think else? So. I mean, obviously these, these disciplines overlap greatly, right? But I, I would say it this way is that systematic theology is now laying out all of what we believe and how we defend the faith and our doctrinal commitments and, and so on. So who is God and who is the Lord Jesus and who, what is sin and, and how should we think about uh, politics and you know, all, all these things are doing systematic theology, but you can only do that from the Bible, right? You can only do that from making sure that we're drawing correct theological conclusions from scripture on the scripture's own presentation. So biblical theology becomes foundational to them drawing full-orbed conclusions, right? So the, you know, biblical theology, you say, say, you know, in my work in Christology, uh, you know, as you lay out the canon, Jesus is presented as the eternal son of God who's become human, right? Who's become flesh. And, and systematics then takes all that the Bible says about that and then tries to uh, say, you know, how do I put these pieces together? How do I make sense, right? So I've got texts side by side with one another. Uh, he's the eternal son who knows all things, yet he doesn't know the end, only the father does. Well, how do I put those two together? So systematics really is, is taking all that scripture says, putting pieces together, laying underneath it, you know, a uh, Christian worldview, who God is, the nature of God, the nature of Christ, thinking through all those matters in light of historical theology. So that's really how those disciplines fit together. But in back of all that is a presupposition that scripture is inerrant. It's, it ha because, because, right. because typically what would happen is, well, if Jesus says, I don't know when I'm coming back, and then he is supposed to be the divine son who knows all things, uh, most folks would just say, well, that's a contradiction in scripture. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, all of biblical theology, all of systematic theology, all of Christian thought uh, is only possible in uh, a true uh, objective sense. I mean, not just your own subjective opinions here and feelings and perspectives, but in a true uh, warranted sense, if 
right? God is there, the triune God who knows all things, plans all things, has a complete exhaustive uh, viewpoint and makes that known to us, even if it's a finite, uh, you know, he hasn't said everything. He hasn't told us everything that uh, uh, he, he, he knows. We couldn't understand it anyway. But what he does say is true. It's coherent. It's reliable. It's inerrant. I mean, so that we are then able to say, now I can take all the parts, put them together without contradiction. Uh, contradiction would be, you know, something that you're avoiding because if they come from God, God doesn't contradict himself. Yeah. And this, this that really is where you did your dissertation work, right? And that how the word of God relates to our theology proper or how it relates to who God is, like his, his person is related to his word. And can, can you kind of tease that out a little bit? Yeah, I mean, uh, in, in Trinity, uh, when I was there in the 80s into the early 90s, there was a strong focus on the defense of uh, historic view of Scripture. So uh, this insight came out of Kevin Van Hooser, and then I finished it with John Feinberg, is that, you know, your doctrine of Scripture, your view of Scripture, isn't just um, dealing with historical matters and defense of archaeology and those kind of things. It's ultimately your view of Scripture is tied to your view of God. Mm -hmm. The doctrine of God gives you a certain view of Scripture. And so I was working on the interrelationship between those doctrines, which was great because that shows that in every doctrinal area, everything ultimately is grounded in God, the doctrine of God, mm -hmm. um, and all doctrines are interrelated, right? So even in Christology, uh, you can't do a Christology without a view of Scripture. Your view of Scripture and your view of God leads you to a proper understanding of who the Son is and His work. Uh, so it all goes together. Christian theology is a unit, right? It's a unit that is integrated. It's a fabric. Uh, and that's where it's very important to communicate to people. Uh, otherwise, they have bits and pieces of it, and they then have incoherency. That's fascinating. So as you, as you look across the landscape of evangelicalism specifically, but then Christendom generally, um, because it sounds I mean, the church was very formative in bringing you up and, and leading you and teaching you and your tradition that you grew up in. As you look across the landscape that we're in right now, as it relates to questions of post-modernity post and, and pluralism, and then you see um, churches that are not really plumbing the depths of that theology, maybe because they're scared that people will get lost or they're trying to, I think in, in a good way, try to appeal to people that are on the surface, maybe seek people who are seeking that, that, that are God fears and trying not to get them bogged down with too much. How, how would you see to remedy that in, in the church for one, actually for one, do you see that as a problem? Uh, am I overstating it or do you, and, and if it is a problem, how, ought we to remedy that in the church? Yeah. Well, there's, there's certainly some problems in this area, right? I mean, the, the constant problem that we've always faced from the very beginning is, you know, you have it in, say, Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2 exhortation. Uh, do not be conformed to the, the patterns of this world, right? The mindset of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? So, so the, the big issue that we face is, is that, you know, according to scripture, you think of the wisdom literature and so on, there's, there's, there's two ways to think. There's two ways to live. Uh, there's, there's, you know, ultimately the kingdom of God, the kingdom of man. And uh, what you're having here is uh, the truth of God over against 
what's then found in, in, in the human race, right? So what we need as Christians, right, is uh, to think biblically and, you know, what does the Bible say and put it into practice in our daily lives. If that doesn't happen, which it doesn't often happen in the church, right? We're not doing exposition. We're not seeing the whole counsel of God. We're not thinking theologically. We're not grounding this in the history of the church and so on. Then often what we do is we adopt things of our culture. Uh, we become postmodern in certain areas. We become relativistic in certain areas. We don't bring a biblical mind and heart to bear. The gospel isn't central to our lives and the scripture isn't central to our lives. And that's the dangers. And that can be worked out in a whole host of areas from our you know, how we live and how we think about ethics, how we then think about God. We, often we see it in the ethical uh, realm, you know, of how people are compromising in so many areas, but that's just a tip of a theological depth that has already been given up. So the church needs to go back to a full understanding of the whole counsel of God, putting the pieces together, living it out as a whole Christian viewpoint, and I, that's a crucial need in our day. But but in but in some ways somebody would respond like well we we're all enmeshed in a culture I mean you're wearing a college shirt as am I right. uh, we we have books behind us uh, there's there's a certain enmeshing that we can't get outside of um, so every time I preach or you preach we're we, we're using a certain language and even a certain dialect um, mm -hmm. and so how do you for one uh, get around that but then also how do you communicate that same old truth in a way that actually is relevant for people. Cause I think that really is the, the banner in which all this flies is that we want to be relevant. We want, we want to be winsome. We want people to, to want to hear the gospel. So how, how would you respond to somebody who say, well, wait a second, wait a second. Yeah. Well, I think we need, we need a theology here, right? I mean, you need uh, a theology that uh, God is the unchanging one. So regardless of changing cultures, uh, you know, he remains the same. Uh, his word remains the same and so on. We need a, a, a theology of humans that we are, yes, different in different cultures, but we're all image bearers living in a created reality that God himself has made, that uh, the knowledge of God in both uh, creation uh, and, and scripture is inescapable and so on. So you, you need a proper, some of the assumptions behind this cultural understanding is that it's, we're such relative that there's nothing of a common feature of a common creation, a common image bears, uh, you know, ground in the doctrine of God. Now, with that said, I mean, we do live in culture, right? But we also have to be convinced that scripture, even though it comes to us in cultures, is, uh, and there, here's your doctrine of scripture, is God's own interpretation through those cultures, right? But it's for those, you know, the Old Testament people, the New Testament church, we live in the same era in redemptive history as the New Testament church, and it's for us. So what we have to carefully do is understand scripture in terms of the whole Bible. That's our lens and grid by which we then critique and evaluate our cultures. And as we bring scripture to bear in light of its full unfolding revelation and where we are as new covenant people as the church, we then say, this is how I apply it to my context, whether it's in the United States, whether it's in Africa, whether it's in the Middle East, because the Bible itself will give us a worldview. It'll give us a way, a lens of looking at things, which uh, is objectively true. It's not subjectively true, right? So the Bible's first order, it's objectively the case. 
Um, we do have cultural influences, but we have to be able to critique that cultural influences from scripture. It's not an easy task, but it's, it's possible. Well, yeah. So, so, you know, as you think about how do you take that cultural milieu in which Paul is writing, you know, Paul is right over your shoulder there. Uh, right. how, how do you, he said, you know, women should have their heads covered. Um, and, and you get even further back, like it's not appropriate for a woman to wear man's clothing. So she shouldn't wear pants. You know I mean? We, we come in contact with people. So, so in a lot of ways, it seems like, um, we, we are, the world is painting. Well, you either are for or against culture. So help walk somebody through like, okay, should I wear a head covering and, and should I be silent and not talk in, in church? If I'm a woman, like these kind of things to be able to say, okay, no, there are, we, we don't, we don't come to scripture and say, okay, I, I want to be uh, hierarchical and therefore I'm going to pick. So, so help us walk through, walk through somebody who's struggling with, with that. Yeah. They're, they're, obviously there's a lot to say, right? So um, first, right. You have to, you know, return to scripture and, you know, understand it in its, on its own terms. So this is where biblical theology becomes very important, right? Mm-hmm. So that um, we then have to follow the Bible's own, presentation of certain things. So broadly speaking, uh, the Bible will work from creation to new creation, uh, creation, fall, uh, the plan of redemption, the consummation in Christ and new creation. Now, why is that important? Well, uh, as you look at scripture, often creation uh, structures, realities tied to a givenness of created order, to image, to life, to marriage, to so on, uh, these are these are norms that then run across cultures, right? So, for instance, uh, sanctity of human life, uh, the establishment of human sexuality, the grounding of marriage, and, and and so on, right? So these creation realities, and then we have to then incorporate the fall, which brings change, and then we also have to think covenantally where we are, right? So under the old covenant, for instance. It was tied to certain cultural features. Uh, certain things were God-given within that culture. Yet we put the old covenant together with the new. We follow the Bible's own. So we know that on the Bible's own category, circumcision is no longer in force. The old covenant as a covenant has been fulfilled. The food laws are no longer there. Uh, the sowing of two seeds in your field from the old law is no longer applicable to us. Why? Because of a theological reason that the Bible gives. The new covenant has come, right? Mm -hmm. And then as we think about living under the new covenant in terms of creation realities and fall and and redemption and so on, we then say there are are cultural features in the New Testament. Uh, I would say head covering is a cultural feature that is tied to uh, universal creation truth. Mm -hmm. What's the universal creation truth? Well, a difference between male and female. Uh, a male headship uh, in marriage in the church and so on and that is head head the head coverings expresses that in that culture but our culture could express it differently but it's still tied to an underlying creation reality that's not done away with in the new covenant that ultimately will reach consummation in the new creation so those are things of how you are putting together greet one another with a holy kiss is uh, a cultural expression, yet underneath it all is uh, human love and fellowship, right? Uh, so a good hearty handshake may work, um, yet there's a theological truth. So that's how you are to trying to determine 
what's universal, what's cultural. You need the creation structures. You need covenantal unfolding and fulfillment. What, where we are now is the church under the new covenant. Um, and, and, and then think of some cultural aspects that way. So, I mean, that's how I would go about thinking through those areas. Yeah, that's really, really helpful. Thank you. Um, so like how then do you view some of the most difficult things that, that Christians are dealing with right now? I mean, you've alluded to it with regards to culture and then we find ourselves and, and, and a lot of times you hear Christians say, well, this is the hardest time that Christians that, well, we're not being killed, at least in the United States, we're not being killed. Our brothers and sisters in, in other countries definitely are. We don't want to forget that. But, but it, it's very easy to think that and, and have this, this tunnel vision that, okay, this is the worst time ever. There's persecution. Well, no, we're, we're here talking freely. We don't have to be underground. But at the same time, there are certain cultural things that are, that are bombarding Christians. What do you see as some of the greatest challenges to Christianity, maybe on the world stage, but then even particularly as it relates to, to folks in the United States? Yeah, I, I think, you know, as we think of our own context here in the United States and the West, right? Uh, so North America, Europe, and so on. And of course, this will spill over to the world. I mean, I think the biggest challenge, if we step back, is that uh, Western society that was influenced by Christianity uh, has now been thrown off, right? So the whole rise of, of a secular culture, a modern to postmodern. What's at the heart of that? Ultimately, the heart of that is a replacement of a Christian view with something else, which generally opens the door to many viewpoints, but ultimately uh, a kind of um, intolerant <laughs> um, opposition to Christianity. It, it's this um, uh, denial of truth, yet it's all that it's done is replace itself with another form of truth, which is a denial of the Christian truth, right? So this whole uh, push towards a denial of Christianity being true, that uh, the Bible being the word of God and all of that is entailed. And then out of that will come often in our society, uh, the entailments the of that, often that we see it in the, in the ethical realm. Mm -hmm. So sexual ethics, family, life issues, right? Those are, as Francis Schaeffer used to teach us, those are a symptom of a deeper problem. Often we treat those ethical issues as the problem, but really they are the result of something far deeper, which is a whole shift away from any kind of Christian understanding, uh, the impact of, of a secular society, uh, acceptance of other viewpoints, and, and so on. So those are some of the great challenges we face. And of course, I think what we're gonna face uh, in the West is more of an intolerance towards Christian gospel, right? So we don't then, uh, you know, respond to that by just screaming and yelling. Uh, we have to be like, you know, Paul was in the first century at Athens, you know, arguing what we can in the public square, fighting for freedom of speech, making, uh, you know, saying, listen, in, a, in the public realm, we need to allow for our speech as well as your speech and, and take the gospel to the, the streets and the public uh, realm, and uh, hopefully, um, you know, we can get a hearing, right? Uh, right now, it seems as if some of our hearing is being shut down uh, in, in certain academic places and that, but we need to then argue for, no, let's have a hearing, let's present uh, the Christian truth uh, almost as if uh, to our culture for the first time, right? Um, and why, and I, why that's, that's what we're having to face. Why, why, do you why do you think that is? Why do you think there is such a, a pushback against the Christian worldview? I mean, um, 
just kind of walk through that as well. I mean, cause it, that's, that's very curious is, is well, there's, there's probably, there's probably, yeah, there's probably a lot of reasons, right? I mean, it's hard to nail down one thing and, and, and then you, you tend to be reductionistic if you do. Yeah. But I mean, I, I think, you know, the, the huge reason uh, that's the biblical reason is uh, human sin, right? As uh, God's common grace is sort of removed. Some of the restraints are removed. There is a fight against, and this is the battle that's ever been since the fall, a fight against the truth of God, right? And you see it more predominant where uh, the restraints are taken off. And I, and I think that's part of, you know, that's the main explanation. Uh, and then also, I think you, you have with, with people, I mean, look at what uh, is going on in Venezuela, the whole collapse of that government, very, very, very sad. Uh, but, you know, just a, a few years ago when Hugo Chavez and others were leading it, uh, you know, all of the intelligentsia were praising him for his great economic views. So what you do is you have bad ideas tied to, say, socialism or something. And, and, then, and then there's a reaction to the past, right? The reaction to the, you know, almost um, we've had these freedoms, we've had this, these blessings, but let's get rid of it all, right? Um, and, and that's tied to sin, that's tied to ideology, it's tied to, and then of course in, in the West, um, you know, Christianity uh, you know, has been identified too much with the society and we've seen problems, right? You know, we've seen the slavery issue, we've seen other issues that arise. Often you forget that Christians also remedy those things as well, uh, but usually that's forgotten. So you have a kind of overreaction against. Uh, but I think the main issue is that we're seeing Augustine's uh, two cities, uh, the city of God, the city of man. And when the restraints are pulled off, when civilizations, as we know from history, begin to internally collapse, which is what I think is happening, um, you know, nations come and nations go, but when they internally collapse, they, they, they rail out against and they fight against the truth. So I've, I've, um, imagine I've been living across the street from you for five years and, uh, I come, come over to your door and I knock on it and I notice, I say, Hey, Hey, uh, Steve, I noticed that you had a Southern Baptist theological seminary sticker. Uh, do you teach there? Uh, and then we get into a conversation where I then say, well, that's, that's great for you. Um, I'm just, I, I, I'm agnostic about it. I don't, I think there's a higher power somewhere. Um, what do you say? Yeah. Well, I mean, you have to, obviously, uh, you could say a number of things, right? So we have to assess, you know, how much time do we have and so on. Uh, but you know, obviously we're building a, you know, it's a neighbor in this context. You're trying to build a friendship with them, right. To talk. But eventually when all that's done, uh, one has to say, um, uh, look, uh, you know, you are saying that uh, this is, you know, you have a viewpoint and this is what you're claiming is the case. I have a viewpoint. Uh, let's look at these viewpoints, right? Let's see. And of course, then that's really sort of the theological apologetic task. I think the goal of what we're trying to do as we talk to our neighbor is to look at their viewpoint, let them speak, let them talk, let them Sometimes they don't even know what they themselves believe, right? I mean, uh, let them try to understand, well, why do you think this way? And why would you argue this way? And because they eventually operate with some kind of viewpoint of God themselves, the world, and so on, right? Everyone has a philosophy or everyone has a worldview. And you're trying to then get them to become self-conscious about that 
and to show them that it self-destructs, right? It doesn't, it doesn't work so that they are living inconsistently and so on. And they may say, well, I like to live inconsistently, but they, I mean, there's where we press home the truth of, uh, but the Christian view is not you. And that, and that also mean the claims of the gospel and you don't live in, you know, you, you may, you don't, you don't, you, you may things that you're happy with inconsistency, but you don't take it that way. And, and ultimately God demands something from you, right? Cause we're bringing the positive claims of the gospel there. So, I mean, I think every evangelist encounter, you're trying to show what, what they believe is foolishness, you know, in the wisdom sense of scripture, it's not mm -hmm. the fear of God. The fear of God is what brings life and truth, and and you need the gospel. That's what Schaefer talks about taking the roof off, right? Taking yeah. the taking yeah. the roof off the house and showing what's inside, and that that the furniture is out of place. Exactly right. I mean, and that's you know we are basically showing you know Psalm one, right? Uh, that there's the wise man and uh, the man who fears God, and the one who doesn't, right? And Proverbs one and and uh, Romans one and so on, and we're calling people to know. Uh, their creator to have life to be what God made them to be is to know God and ultimately God also is still the Lord right he's still the Lord the judge uh, whether they acknowledge him or not they'll stand before him and we're concerned uh, for them right uh, Schaefer used to say that uh, you know um, you're so concerned in evangelism uh, because you know valuable people are going to destruction uh, and uh, you want the glory of God, and you also want uh, the good of those people, right? So that's part of our, our incentive to share the gospel with them. Mm. Well, I, I, I want to talk a lot longer, um, and so we'll, we're going to probably have another time to do this. Um, I'd love to do that, yeah. But I, I'd love to, you know, one of the things that I'm trying to do on this podcast is to get people to see that theology matters. And I think that you've hit it home and again and again that, that your theology, your, your understanding of God will dramatically affect your ethics. It'll dramatically affect how you talk to your neighbor, uh, if you'll even talk to your neighbor or not, uh, if you'll be pushed and propelled out to evangelize and, and preach and share the gospel with those who don't know, know God. So um, can you close us by speaking to um, this current evangelical situation where you have a lot of large churches, which, which I'm not indicting large churches at all, but when you start to delve down into some of the theology, um, it's very what your experience at college was. It's like, oh, well, yeah, God is good all the time. Yes, all the time God is good. That's true. And yet there's more to be said because we suffer, you know, these kind of things. So can you speak to and just close us out by thinking through the relationship, why there's such a discrepancy between faith that's applicable or faith that actually does something as opposed to, well, I go and believe that. And then when I go to the water cooler at work, there's no connection there. Can you, can you help us yeah. navigate that? Yeah. I mean, again, a lot of things could be said. I mean, first on the faith front, you know, in the theology truth front, I, I wonder, right, whether, you know, people say, I have, I believe this, but do they, right? Mm -hmm. uh, do they even know what they believe? Mm -hmm. Do they even believe in the sense of the fullness of all that scripture gives and, and, and the Christian church has given in terms of theology? I mean, so much as a tipping of a hat to these uh, theological truths, but do they really believe? I mean, faith in scripture isn't just intellectual assent. 
it's it's actual trust i believe this and and ultimately one has to uh first see themselves as lost right christianity is a sinner's religion and my faith in christ is so real because before a holy god I stand in judgment and I need a redeemer and this is who God is. And these become pressing issues. So the faith aspect of it has to be by the work of the spirit. So impressed upon our minds and hearts so that then the practice now flows, right? I mean, if we're not having practice from faith, you begin to wonder if there's true faith or yeah. if they're really, you know, do I really believe these things? Right. Yeah. And, and then, and then of course the faith, the practice then comes by, you know, stepping out, we can believe these things. Sometimes we don't always act on it because we're busy or we don't want to get into an argument with someone or so we have to then say, no, these things matter. I need to talk to my neighbor. I need to be different at work. I need to really in my family spend time raising those kids in the truth and the admonition of the Lord, but that takes time. Right. And so we then have to put that, what we believe to practice, but we first have to believe it. It has to be real to us, right? I mean, uh, it can't just be, you know, a head knowledge or something. Uh, it has to be the full orb nature of all that scripture says. And then we have to then step out and put it into practice. That's great. That's great. Well, great. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to close us in prayer and then, uh, and then we'll uh, end our time together. Okay. Very good. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time to be able to reconnect with an old friend and to be able to talk about, uh, things that uh, affect us not only on the inside, but what we do on the outside as we uh, talk to our neighbors, as we talk to our coworkers, as we live life in their midst. We pray that, Father, you would drive these truths home to us and that we would truly believe and that in believing we would also act. Father, we thank you for the gift that you have given to us in your Son, and we do pray that we would honor him with our words, our thoughts, and our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Matt. Thank you so much.